I just want to invite you to come back and find your seats again. I know it's great to meet new people and to catch up, and uh, we'll have tons of time for that following the service. Thanks so much. Well, welcome. It was, that was a miserable week, hey? It's <laughs> snowing, that cold that moved in, but I'm glad you're here. I was kind of curious how it was going to go this morning with uh, people choosing to come to church and all. There's all sorts of festivals that were canceled or postponed or kind of scaled down, move indoors with the weather this week. But it's great to see so many of you here uh, coming to join us this morning. Well, last week we introduced this new sermon series based upon the book With by a gentleman named Sky Jatani. And in this book, he challenges people to reimagine the way they relate to God. And he does so by calling to the forefront four postures, four common ways that people relate to God. And, and he talks them through, through prepositions such as over, under, for, or from God. And, and as we'll see over the course of this series we're going through, there, there, there's truth in each of those postures, but all of them also fail. All of them also fall short. Because rather than being outcomes of our relationship with God, they, they kind of battle, they compete to become the means of the relationship that we have with God. And that has a negative impact upon our experience with church and faith, and, and, and we end up having an experience that falls short of all that God intended and of all that God promised for us. And so over the weeks ahead throughout this series, we're inviting people to come and experience that life is better with Jesus, not not. Not over Jesus, not under him, not for him, not from him. Life is better with him. Now, I jumped the gun a little bit last week when I told you that the books are going to be available at the Connection Kiosk, these books right here. Um, they're actually available starting today. So if you haven't, I know some people have already downloaded the book or have ordered their own copy, but if you want one and you have not yet got one, you can get them at the Connection Kiosk following the service here today. But for today, we're going to actually break ranks with the book a little bit. If you're to follow the kind of the table of contents, that's roughly the sermon series we're going to be going through for the next few weeks. But we're going to break ranks a bit with that today because there's three related messages I want to kind of weave into uh, what we have ahead of us. Because I think it'll help provide uh, a little more sense of application of the material that's, that's in the book. And we, so we can go forward and then live that out in a little bit different fashion, a little bit of a better means than uh, without those messages. And they have to do with three callings that all followers of Jesus Christ have, with three callings. Now, the word calling is probably somewhat familiar to you. It shows up in the world around us, and particularly in Christian circles, we, we hear this word calling quite a bit. And, and our, our mind probably immediately jumps to the definition of, of uh, what I was created to do. What is that thing in life that brings me meaning and purpose and identity and satisfaction? And most often, the way we answer that question really moves towards an activity-based understanding. Uh, whether that be a professional position we have, a certain role within society or within the home, uh, the activation of sort of a passion into the world that we have, such as I was called to be a mother or a father. I was called to be a plumber or a teacher. I was called in the church to be an usher or a Sunday school teacher or an elder or a pastor. These, these sorts of callings. Now, that's what we could refer to as our specific calling. And that's an important one. These specific callings that relate to vocation and passion-based ministry, volunteer opportunities to answer the question, what was I created to do? It's a valid form of calling. It's one we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead because there's a good chance all of us have thought or asked the question at some point in our lives, 
What is my calling? Now, there's a second type of calling we're going to talk about in a few weeks as well, referred to as our common calling. And our common calling for a follower of Jesus Christ is basically all of the commands that we find in Scripture. Those, those prescriptive things that we all, all, all believers from all places and all times are called to do. And, and these are things that you're familiar with, like, like the Ten Commandments, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, all of Paul's one another's that we find in his writings, these, these common callings that we all have in common. That's where the word comes from. But there's a third one. A third one we started talking about last week that we're going to go a little deeper into this week. And that is referred to as our highest calling. Now, right out of the beginning here, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag and let you know what our highest calling is. I'm not going to keep you in suspense. Our highest calling is to be in relationship with the Father through the Son. That is the highest calling that anybody, follower of Christ or otherwise, the everybody in the world has this highest calling. That whether you currently have believed that, accepted, followed it, or if that is something that is on the horizon for you still, this calling still exists for you to move towards, enter into, and then remain in a relationship with the Father through the Son. And if we are able to achieve that highest calling, we will then be able to experience all that God has to offer to us in this life and in the life to come. And come to understand truly what it means to live a life that is better with Jesus than any other option that's out there. Now, if you're with us last week, we started talking about this a little bit. When we introduced the uh, kind of a, a traditional Christian doctrine of the Trinity, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existing eternally in perfect community and union and harmony, three in one. And you remember last week, that we talked about how that God who exists eternally in perfect community as part of the creation order reached out his hand and invited us into community with him. Genesis 1.26, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And then if we continue reading through that, we find that God and man walk together, they live together, they rule together in the garden. They had that intimate community together. They were with one another. That was God's plan from the beginning. But I want to go back even further. We can't go back much further at Genesis 1.26, only 25 verses before that. But I want to go back even a little bit earlier than that today and talk about before any of that existed, where God still was. God still existed in perfect unity, harmony, and community within himself. And we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, that at that time, the creation was without form, and void, and there's kind of this ominous language, and, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, if you read those words, it, it, and sometimes people close their eyes and they think about these things, but when you think about the words that there's formless and a void, and, and there was darkness over the deep, it, it's kind of this ominous sense that, that there was chaos, that was kind of chaotic. When I close my eyes and think about this, I, I get these images of like, of like stormy seas and darkness and rain and wind and clapping waves. And, and, and if you were in the midst of that, it was sort of a fearful kind of ominous setting. And so this is the beginning of, the, of, of Scripture that we have, where there's, there's a sense of chaos, but at the same time exists God. And this is in conflict with who God is. Well, God who exists in perfect unity and harmony is in the midst of this sense of chaos. 
And so he starts to create. And through speaking, through the spoken word, he starts to create. And chaos turns to order. From chaos to order. As we look at the created systems, as he creates through forming systems and interwoven processes until we reach a point where we end up with this finely tuned balance that we all come to know as the world in which we live. From chaos to order. Now, if you think back to, to science class, you know some of these systems. You, you learned about ecosystems and thermodynamics and the laws of gravity and electromagnetism. But one that we're probably most familiar with and that people like studying, one of the favorite topics to study in school is, is the solar system, another system. The solar system, I'll draw your attention to that one for a second, it's a bit of an analogy. Because we know at the most basic level in our solar system that at the very center is a sun. And the sun exists with all the planets and asteroids and everything else kind of orbiting around the sun. Now if you were to remove the sun, everything that exists in our solar system would suddenly go into chaos. It would head off in every which way. And at the same time, life on earth would cease to exist because there would be no means for gravity and atmosphere and air and temperature and seasons, the things that we need to exist here. But the minute you introduce the sun into that potential chaos, it exerts a gravitational force that everything else around it is forced to fall into an ordered, chaos, ordered orbit around it. It's that gravitational force that's exerted upon everything that causes it to move from chaos to order. So all nine planets, even poor Pluto, who gets left out on occasion, it's in, it's planet, it's not a planet, it's a planet, it's not a planet. Well, currently it's a planet. So there's nine planets all orbiting around the sun in a predictable pattern. Why do I bring this up? Because I think it's an analogy, it's an example of what happens when God enters into our world. It's what happens when God enters into our lives. Each of us has all sorts of events and struggles and temptations in our lives that, that have their own gravitational forces that want to pull us off in different directions and, and send us into this sense of chaos. And when we allow them to do so, we, we say things like, my life is in chaos right now. But if we allow God to enter in, if we allow him to come in, it exerts a stronger gravitational force that we can feel and we can sense. And it can bring order to our lives. And this happened when God sent Jesus into the world to reveal God's nature. And then through his teaching, he brought order. Through his grace, he brought forgiveness. Through his love, he brought belonging. And because of this, we now have a choice. We now have a choice of what will our orbit be around the sun. What will we adopt? Because there's options. There are some people who would rather not have an orbit around the sun. And they, they build their own spaceship out of self-determination and they shoot off in the opposite direction as far as they can get. They, under their own self-propulsion, they want to get as far away either from a lack of belief, either out of fear, out of a lack of understanding. They just want to get as far away from the sun as possible. That's one option that some people in the world exist. As I talk about that, you probably can think of names of those you know. That's the direction that they've chosen. Other people, they hear about the sun. They hear about the truth about who Jesus is, and they start to move towards him, and they believe, and they enter into a relationship with him, but then they get stalled out. And they choose kind of a comfortable orbit, just around going, I know you're there, I'm in your gravitational pull, but I want to keep you at an arm's distance. I've gone as close as I want to go. I'm at a comfortable orbit, just kind of around. 
there are other people who also see the truth of Christ, but they choose more of this, this sort of an oval-shaped orbit, where at times, like, I'm doing good, I'm having a good time at work, good things in my life, oh, crisis, got to go back, Jesus, I need you. And then they come back, and then in the moment of they find him and things get going good again, and they start to move away once again, because things are good, I can handle it again. Oh, there's a crisis. They start coming back in more of this horrible orbit of more of an oval. These are similar to the postures that we talk about that we can adopt in our relationship of God that all fall short of the true calling that he places upon us. And these are all different ways that we can relate to him. But the highest calling, the highest calling we have in our lives is not to be moving away from him. It is not to keep him at an arm's distance. It is not to only move towards him when we're in times of need, but during the good times, I'll take it from here, God. That's not the highest calling we have. The highest calling we have is to move towards that gravitational pull of the sun. Allow it to move us towards him on a daily, regular basis. And we get closer and closer and closer and become more and more and more like him. And the closer we get to him, the more we start to take on his nature within ourselves. And here's the beautiful thing about this call. Is that no matter where you are currently at. No matter how far from the center you may currently be, you may have tried to go off in this direction for a long time on your own. Regardless of what orbit you've chosen in the past, your distance is not the issue. The issue is what direction are you facing? And whatever direction, whatever orbit you may have chosen in the past, you have the moment, the opportunity today to turn that and choose a new trajectory, to plot a new course. A new course that heads directly towards the sun. And when you do, you find that as you get closer and closer to realizing the reality of who he is in our lives, he brings order from the chaos. And as we get closer, we get to feel more of the warmth and the power of the sun in our lives. In the Gospel of John, near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, John quotes Jesus speaking to his disciples about the importance of each person having this intimate deepening relationship with God through him. About having their trajectory towards him, gradually continually moving towards him. Not when it's convenient, not when it's comfortable, but at all times, heading towards him. And he used uh, synonyms that, for the word with. Instead of saying being with God, he used the same idea, but synonyms where he talks about abiding or about remaining in him. We see this in John chapter 15, verse 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we don't have too many vineyards in Edmonton, especially when it snows in early September. But if you go to warmer climates like the Okanagan and the Mediterranean region, you see them all over the place. And they're more familiar with this. But but we, we have basic understanding of botany, even though we live in a colder region. And we know that through the basic structure of a plant, that fruit grows on branches, branches connect to the trunk, and the trunk is where life and nutrients flow through the whole plant. When we look at a vine, the vine is another word for the trunk, that, that main structure part of the plant. And it's critical because a branch on its own has absolutely no power. If that branch is separated from the vine... It loses its life-giving power. It loses access to the nutrients and the provisions that come through the vine. And a branch separated from the vine, it can try all it wants with all of its power and muster, and it can achieve, well, nothing. It just withers and dies because it's not connected to the life-giving nutrients that come from the vine. 
and this isn't a foreign concept to us. If, if you go home and you, if you want to get water out of a hose, but you haven't kind of screwed the hose onto the tap yet, you can shake that hose all you want. You can, you can squeeze the handle all you want. Until it's connected to a source of something, nothing's going to happen. If you go home, you want to turn your TV on, but you haven't put batteries in the remote, and you haven't plugged it in, you can push that button all you want. But until you connect it to a source, it's not going to have the ability to do anything. Well, we find the same is true with Jesus is talking here to his disciples, saying, you are the branches, I'm the vine. We've got to be connected. We've got to be in relationship with each other. You've got to not just get into, but remain in that connection with me. And when the truth of the power of that relationship starts to sink in, we reach this point where we realize that Jesus isn't just an option. When the power and truth of this starts to come into us, we realize Jesus isn't something I just sort of add on when it's convenient to my life. That Jesus is a necessity in life. That of all the paths that we can choose, of all the orbits around the sun that we can choose, there is only one that we can truly say is best. There's only one that we can truly say is better. You can choose whatever path you want to walk, whatever options you may choose, whatever religious system you want to go with. And I can confidently stand here and tell you, life with Jesus is better than those other options. Life with him is better than any other option you want to propose to me. And I will defend that, and I believe we can defend that, from example, from scripture, and from the world of testimonies that are around us. Because when we start to experience that, when we start to move towards him, his transformational nature changes us from chaos to order. And we cease to be defined by the turbulence and the, and the circumstances of our lives. And instead, we begin to be defined by his nature, by the nature of the one who is transforming us. But it's not until we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ that this happens. And we make that first critical step, that first critical option to say, yes, I changed my trajectory and I'm moving towards the sun. I believe life with Jesus is better now and forevermore. It is at that moment that we start to have first-hand knowledge of the words of that song that we sang earlier, who you say I am. We start to have first-hand knowledge of the words that says, you are the highest king. You are perfect in holiness and you are perfect in all majesty. And yet you have stretch your hand and you welcome me in out of love. That while I was a slave to sin, while I was a slave and, and I was stuck and focused upon the things of this world, while I was an enemy of God, Jesus came and died for me and set me free. Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. And when we start to understand the truth that we have, we, we have been bought, we have been purchased, we have been brought into a relationship with God through the Son, we can claim the promise of John in John chapter 1 where it says, whoever believes in the Son is a has the right to be called a child of God. And that is who we are. There's a transformation that takes place in our lives at those moments. And as we come to understand that this is our highest calling, this is the most important decision and choice that a person will ever make in their lives. But it's the first step. Because once we do that, and once we genuinely enter into that relationship, once we are connected to the vine, tapped into the true source of power in our lives, once we are with God in relationship. All else flows from there. You see, this first step is critical because it initiates a process. A process by which we then go into an ongoing journey of getting closer and co closer as our course correction has been made towards the sun. And we enter into a deepening relationship with God through that. 
Now, when we talk about relationships, it's a word that comes up a, a fair bit in, in, in preaching and stories in our lives. Whether we're talking about a relationship with God or a relationship with other people, I, I don't want to kind of take the romance out of it or the, or the, the magic out of friendships, but you can actually reduce it down to a formula. Uh, there's actually a formula you can follow for relationships, and I'll share this with you. It's actually a word picture. If you're a mathematician, you're going to hate this, but if you're an English major, you're going to love it. So no, no doing math, okay? Here's the word picture you can see. Meaningful relationships form through this equation. Effort plus proximity over time. Effort plus proximity over time. If you're a math major, you're going, no. It says effort plus proximity divided by time. We're not doing math. We're doing English word pictures here. Effort plus proximity over time. Now, here's the thing about this. I'll explain this for you. This is a situation where two, you can't say two out of three ain't bad. You need all three of these to take place. Let me show you what I mean by that. Let's say, for example, you have effort and proximity but no time. Well, in that scenario, you've simply walked up to a person, you've shaken their hands, you've smiled, and you've told them your name. That's the extent of it yet because no time's taken place. You've just met that person in the moment, and you may have an acquaintance. You might have a new person that you smiled at at this point, but it would be incorrect to say you have a relationship with that person at this moment because time will have to be part of the process. Let's look at another combination. Let's say, for example, you have effort and time, but you have no proximity. What does that look like? Well, that's similar to when we have our favorite recording artist who lives down in Nashville, and we buy all their music, and we go to their concerts, and we listen to them on the radio, and we just, we, we read articles about them, and we love them so much. But if you get a backstage pass to actually go see them, when they walk by you, they have no clue who you are. Because you've had no proximity to them. You've invested all sorts of effort. You've invested all sorts of time. But because of the lack of proximity, they have no clue who you are. And you're just giddy to see them, and they think you're a crazy person. Because there's no meaningful relationship that exists there. What's the other combination? Time, proximity, but no effort. This would be the same thing if you ride the bus to work or if you ride the bus to school with the same people every day, but you're just staring at your phone. We spend all sorts of time together. We're in proximity with each other, but there's zero effort. That's put into it. You see, if we have effort plus proximity over time, we actually can start to build a meaningful, deepening relationship with another person, but it also works in our relationship with God as well. And here's the beautiful thing about it, is that when we talk about our relationship with God, he's taking care of the proximity. Because we read in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, God wanted to invite us in. God wants us to be in communion with him, so he sent his son. He's come to us. He's come into proximity with us. He is not just transcendent. He is also imminent in, in our proximity. Time, time takes care of itself. There's sayings about time. People will say things like, like there's no time like the present. They'll say things like, when's the best time to start a new habit? Yesterday. When's the second best time? Today. So there's options that exist for us today. And if we start to make those decisions today, time will take care of itself over the course of time. But there's this third one, effort. And that's what falls into our court. Effort is our responsibility. That's the part that we need to take steps and that we need to look after ourselves. And as we continue reading in John 15, he tells us what that effort looks like to have a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. That if we're a follower of Christ, he points out three areas that we'll go through very quickly here. Three areas where we can put effort into deepening that relationship. He says this in verse 7 and 8. That if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The first thing he points out here is to not just remain in him. That was the first thing. We talked about that already. But to remain in him, but also to remain in his words. What he's talking about here is scripture. He's talking about his teachings that Jesus left for us. And I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about how incredible of a gift this is in terms of relationship. Like we think about it in terms of knowledge, where if I read, I can gain knowledge, understanding. But in terms of a relationship, this is an incredible gift. Because think about the effort we typically have to put into building a relationship with somebody. You know, we're going through this process, do I like them, do I not like them, what are they, what are they about, what are they striving for, what dreams, what hopes, what fears they have. We've we got to figure all this stuff out as we come into a relationship with somebody. And so if you're in a, like a work environment, if you want to hire somebody, you've got to interview them. Interviews are awkward, right? Remember when I interviewed you, Ryan? Man, we talked long and hard about that one afterwards. But <laughs> it worked out. Right? <laughs> I'm just kidding, we didn't. Um, when, you're, when you're dating, looking for a new spouse, man, that's, that's a process in trial and error, going through all this stuff. When you want to make a friend, you got to hang out for a while, and, oh, I'm just working out. Right? It gets awkward. There's this process of asking questions and sharing and constantly evaluating, do they like me, do I like them, how is this working out? And it's not always a good match. No, it's not a good match. It's awkward. And it feels like we've wasted all of this time. That's one of the elements. We've wasted one of these times. We put all this effort in. But here's the thing. People enjoy building relationships still. And so in today's culture, to make this less awkward, that's where social media comes in and people are lurking your Facebook page all the time and, and lurking to see what sort of comments you made because they want to read about you before they invest all that time and effort and energy into getting to know you. They want to prime themselves to go, has this got a chance? This got a chance. The problem is that most of what we put on Facebook is fictitious. And so we actually don't know if, if it's going to work out or not. But this is why Scripture is such a beautiful thing. Because all of that stuff that's written down, they want to know about other people, God wrote in his story for us. He wrote, he gave it to us. And it's not fictitious. It's true. And it's trustworthy. And if we get into the Word, and if we study the Word, we can get to know him. And that investment in that time is never wasted. But it takes us even steps further and further in getting to know him than any other method that we can think of. Because in the word of God, he reveals who he is. He reveals what he likes. He reveals what his will is. And our effort is to find our space and our place that we talk about. To find that physical space in your life, in your calendar, where you carve out time, and that physical space, whether that be while you're driving to work, or if you have that special chair in the, in, the, in the bedroom, or if you have that place at the kitchen table, that space in time and that space physically in your life where you stop and get into his story. Find your place in God's story. That's one of the biggest things we can do for effort, is find our space and place in God's story. Now, if you don't have a Bible, reach out your arm directly in front of you, and you'll touch one. And you're allowed to steal one thing from church, and it's Bibles. So if you haven't got one, feel free to take one of those Bibles home with you. Another option is you can download the YouVersion Bible app on, on every platform. Just type in YouVersion, and this Bible app will appear for you. It is completely free. It's powerful. It also gives you access to our weekly sermon notes. You can follow along. You see the people on their phones in the sanctuary here. They're not, they're not texting. They're not on Facebook. They're actually going through sermon notes that are posted online to go along with these sermons. But that'll help you to find your space and your place. <clears throat> and as you do so, we start to take on more of the shape, more of the image of the one that we're investing time in. And we start to be turned more and more into the image of Christ. 
We'll start to see, we'll start to talk, we'll start to view the world and him in light of those things if his word remains in us. That's the first one. The second one, he says, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. Jesus isn't saying if you follow these three-step plans, we're going to have such a tight relationship that all of a sudden you can just wish for whatever you want and I'll be your genie and give it to you. That's not what he's saying. That's not the relationship he's talking about here. If that's, if that's sort of the perspective that we have towards this verse, if I, if I mention it and I mention his name, then he's obligated to obey me. Come back in a couple weeks. That's that life over God posture we're going to talk about in about two weeks. We'll unpack that one for you at that point. You see, what Jesus is talking about here is something he mentioned a few times. But when he talks about how if we ask in his name, we'll receive, he always has a bit of a qualifier to go with that. He'll say things like, it must be in my name. It must be related to works that I do. And here, it must be in relationship to if you know me through the word and ask accordingly, it's a conditional situation, then you will receive. You see, you have to understand the context in which he makes this statement. What he's saying is, if you ask based upon a longing for, an activity, a want, that's in line with the types of things that, that he wants and he's doing, if you ask for things in alignment with that, then you will receive. Now, as we've been discussing over the past two weeks here, this relates to the Trinitarian understanding of who God is as well. Remember we said a few times that God exists in perfect unity and harmony, in perfect community, three in one within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, you may not have thought about this before, but those three persons of the Trinity do not just stand there in silence. I really believe there's an ongoing conversation between those three persons of the Trinity. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, I'm tapped into that ongoing conversation that's happening with the Father. And if you ask things that are in line with that ongoing conversation, if you can merge with the flow, if you can go with the grain of that conversation, you'll find positive responses to your request. You'll find positive responses to your prayers. If you request things that are in line with what that ongoing dialogue is, you'll receive a favorable response, probably a yes. But if you send up prayers, if, if you engage in that conversation, try to get in there going against the grain, going against the flow of that dialogue that's already happening, it's like swimming upstream. You might find that it's hard and frustrating in your life when those things don't come to fruition because you're not receiving those favorable answers. Imagine for a second you walk down to Rogers Center and you see three guys standing there. They got their Oilers jerseys on. They've got their season tickets in hand, and they're standing in Rogers Center, and you walk up to join the conversation, and you go, man, how about that McDavid? There's a good chance you're going to receive a favorable response. They're going to go, yeah, how about that guy? And the dialogue will go, and you'll enter into the flow of the conversation. You walk up to those same three guys and go, man, those flames look pretty good this year. Luke. There's a chance you're going to feel some tension. They're probably going to stop, the conversation will stop, and you won't feel yourself going with the flow of the conversation, because you're going against the grain. Now, I don't want you to be fearful entering into prayer going, well, if I don't know what the direction is, if I don't know what the grain is, if I don't know what the flow of that conversation is, then I'm, I'm just not going to pray. No, God invites us to. He wants us to engage in him through this process as well. Why? Because as we enter into those moments and we find less than positive responses to our prayers, he can use that to sand off the rough edges on us. 
He can use those experiences in our lives and other people's lives to help us further understand what that flow is, what those things that are in Jesus' name, what those activities that Jesus is about. When we hear some no's but we hear some yes's, it helps us to understand and shape and be molded more into the image of Christ. So we need to be coming to him with our requests. We need to be coming to him with our concerns and allowing him to not just have a monologue where we talk at him, but we have a dialogue where he shapes us and molds us through the responses and the conversations that we have as we join the Trinity in the conversation happening within those three at this present time. The more we pray, the more we study scripture, the better the understanding we're going to have of who God is. This is part of the effort type stuff. And we'll be able to enter into those conversations with him more and more. So if we remain in him and if his word remains in us, we can ask whatever we wish and it'll be done for us. Because what we wish is increasingly in line with the nature of Christ, of who he is. There's a third and final thing he points out in here. He says he wants us to bear much fruit. And by bearing much fruit, we prove ourselves to be his disciples. Now there's many ways in which we can bear fruit. But fruit at its most basic level, as, as we can easily understand, is the end result of a healthy process. If you have a healthy fruit tree, you're having a lot of fruit. If that fruit tree is immature, if that fruit tree is unhealthy, you're not going to have very much, if any, fruit growing on that tree. Fruit is the end result of a healthy process in nature and in our lives. But the fruit that's on the branch also bears the nature of the tree. Jesus said that you don't get the wrong fruit from the wrong tree. You don't get apples from grapevines. You don't get grapes from thorn bushes. You don't get figs from thistles. Jesus talked about this on the Sermon on the Mount where he also said and just sort of summed it up by saying, every good tree bears good fruit. Every bad tree bears bad fruit. Therefore, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And just as the Father is glorified and honored through the work of the Son, through the good fruit that Jesus bears through his ministry, so too, when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus and when we bear good fruit, it glorifies and honors the Father as well. So what is good fruit? Well, it could be a lot of things, and it's dangerous sometimes to reduce a broad concept down to a single idea. But we can look at the words of Jesus to find a summary statement of understanding what good fruit is. And we find this in the greatest commandment, where one day when Jesus was teaching, a religious leader walked up to him, and, 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 and this was new because this guy wasn't trying to trick Jesus. He wasn't trying to, to make him stumble on his words or find some angle to convict him. This religious leader genuinely saw wisdom in the words of Christ and genuinely wanted to know the answer to this question. And so he asked him, what is the greatest command? And we know the answer if you've, if you've read the story before. Jesus said that love was the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Basically another way of saying being that committed, growing, deepening relationship with the Father, which we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about. But then he said the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, love was central to the ministry of Jesus. Love was central to the good fruit that Jesus produced. Love for God and love for others. And in fact, when he was giving his final directions to his disciples before he was arrested and crucified. He summarized it for them when he said this. 
as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Which reflects what we find in John 15 where it says, bear good fruit so that people will know that you're my disciples. Jesus is here telling us, if you love each other, people will know that you're my disciples. Love is central to the good fruit that we're to show. And there's two places that we can especially see this. We can see this in love for fellow believers. Here in this verse in particular, he's talking about the love that exists within fellow believers, followers of Christ, within the church. That we would love one another, that we would be in fellowship with one another. That we would not just be in community with God, but in community with God and with one another in the body of Christ, the, the, the local church. That doesn't mean we're always going to agree. That does mean that there will be areas where we have some friction at times, where we don't feel like the grain's always going the right way. But we can work through those things under the banner of unity. We can love one another and support one another. Encourage, rejoice, mourn, serve, volunteer, be available to one another as expressions of love. You can be the answer to somebody's question of who is your 3 a.m. person. When crisis hits in the middle of the night, who do you call at 3 a.m.? You can be that person to somebody. And they can be that person for you. Who is your 3 a.m. person? We can be loving each other so that nobody's alone. Everyone feels included. Everyone belongs regardless of, of what orbit they might currently be on, regardless of how far from the center they are. If they're trying to enter into community, we can have that positive influence and welcome them in. But there's also love for others, which is so clear from Jesus' ministry, the examples that he set for us. Because Jesus had compassion on everyone, not just his followers, upon everyone. And often it was out of his love that opened the door for him to share his truth. There are so many cases in Scripture where it was through his love that a heart softened. It was through his love that a door opened that he could share truth with them in their lives at that point. The Gospel of Luke, more than any other, reveals this when it focuses upon, upon the minorities that Jesus was around. And in that day and age in particular, the minorities, those with low social standing, people like the poor, sick, lepers. Uh, Luke shows Jesus interacting with women more than anybody else, any of the other Gospels. He's interacting with these people who, who offered nothing back to him. He had no personal gain from engaging these people. He had nothing that they could offer him. Simply out of compassion and a pure act of love, he entered into their lives. And before they knew what Jesus was against, they knew that he loved them. I think that's an important example for all of us to understand our lives. That if we want to have good fruit, especially good fruit in the world around us, people need to know that we love them before they know what we're against. I don't think it's a mistake that John wrote that Jesus came full of grace and truth. I think it wasn't an accident or coincidence he put grace ahead of truth. That's actually how Jesus lived his life. He came full of grace and then he revealed the truth into people's lives at that point. And I pray that this year that we'll continue to grow in our love for one another. That we will also continue to grow in love for the world around us and to serve the Lewis Farms community that's around us. We've taken huge steps forward already in this sense, and, and I pray we'll continue to walk even further in this. And I believe that if we do, we will bear good fruit, and that good fruit will be pleasing to God, 
but also will help us to engage the world around us so that they would know that he loves them so that we then can share our truth and his truth with them as well. It's our highest calling. Our highest calling is to be in relationship with God through abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, which we've talked about the last two weeks now. You know, there's that initial commitment we talked about earlier back in, in the message today. And, and perhaps you're here and you've never taken that step, that, that perhaps you've, you've chosen an orbit of trying to get away from God, or perhaps you didn't even know there was a son at the middle of your life that's inviting you to come and be in relationship with him. This is the call that exists for all people. And if that is not the current reality in your life, then I challenge you today at the following of the service to come forward. There will be people at the front here who will pray with you and help you to make that decision and understand what that means and help you to take steps to get into that relationship with Christ. But for those of us who are here who have made that step, the call for us is to move forward in a deepening relationship with Christ that grows more and more in our lives. We grow more and more into the image of him. And those those three aspects we talked about. We need to remain in his word to find that space and place in our lives, that time for reading and studying scripture. We find time for talking and, and praying to God, entering into the flow of the conversation with God where we learn more about ourselves and more about him at the same time. And then thirdly, that relationship with others, that the act of love and service where we are present for people, we're caring for people, we're meeting their needs, we're serving them, and they too are there for you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or whatnot, but I do want you to just mentally take inventory of those four things. Our initial commitment with God, our space and place, our time of prayer, our fellowship with other people in the world around us, serving the world around us. If you're not able to give yourself a passing grade on those four things, if you're honest with yourself and if you look into your heart and you're like, you know, I'm falling down on one, two, three, maybe even four of those things, there's an opportunity to take some steps forward today. That's one of the roles that we as a church have, is that we can help facilitate these very things. These four things actually are the four pillars of our group's ministry. That is why our group's ministry exists. And I want you to understand what those look like because those are launching in the days ahead. So I'm going to invite Luke to come up here with me right now. And this as we close this message, as we close our service, I, I want you to understand that in these groups are places to meet people, to meet the Lord, to, to study, to pray, to make friends, to care, to serve. To find out wherever one of those four places or more of those four places you find yourself falling short, we have something that can help you take a step forward if you so choose to do so. But our relationship with God, with others, it's going to take time. It's going to take proximity. It's going to take effort. And this is the effort. So Luke, why don't you share a bit with us? Sure. Uh, if you want to pull these out of your bulletins, uh, this morning it says join a group. So you may not if you've been here a while or you haven't, uh, either way, you may not be super familiar with our group's ministry. So what we've done is we've taken everything kind of we do across the church in community and put it into kind of one hub that we're calling groups. And so on here, there's four different kind of areas we've put together. First is our connect groups, which are event-based groups or groups that maybe you uh, share an interest. So you love ball hockey, you want to um, hang out with other guys and... Um, play that kind of game, then um, that's kind of where you go. It's also a place where you would bring your friends. These are typically larger groups in our church. So they uh, range from kind of ball hockey to lunch and learn for seniors, um, and you can look all those up. Our fusion groups are 
much more about getting to know about West Meadows. So maybe you haven't been to one of our lunches or you want to dive deeper in your faith, you want to go to an alpha or we're starting a series called Contextualize. These are kind of more of your classes, those kind of fusion learning kind of groups. Then there's life groups, which you've heard us talk about a lot. These are groups of eight to 10 people and then we close them because we want this is for authentic community. You meet every week or every other week. You have a time of study as well. You share one another's burdens, but then you also serve together. You figure something out. Maybe you go to the mustard seed. Maybe you help at extravaganza, whatever it might be. But this is kind of your group of people you walk with on a weekly basis. And then there's our serve groups, which we're kind of just getting those started. These are where you use that know-how you might have. You love to, uh, I've learned, uh, over the last few weeks that uh, we have a member in our church that loves to clean carpets. So, if that's your passion, we have a place for you to serve. But, we, uh, you never know, there might be an opportunity for us to send you out with that carpet cleaner and uh, serve the community as well. So, these are our groups ministry, and the best way for you to find out information is to go online. And it's westmeadows.org slash groups. That's where all our information is updated. That's where all of our, if you're looking for a life group, for instance, the open groups, those groups that have room for you to join in um, are there. But today we have a special thing too as well. Outside this door, there's a kiosk. And uh, some group members will be there from different uh, group leaders. And uh, they will uh, talk to you, give you some information, um, just share with you about how you can get connected. So this is kind of the way that uh, we want you to kind of join in and be part of this kind of hub that we have in community. Fantastic. Thanks, Luke. Luke's doing a great job overseeing that and pulling all those pieces and all those people together. So just really quickly as we wrap up here, connect groups. If you're looking for relationships, get to know some people. Maybe you're not sure about the whole church thing, but you want to come in through another means and just start to investigate. Those are really relationship-based, activity-based. We've got our life groups. Those are more meaningful doing life together with people. We've got our fusion groups wanting to study topics and subject matter, more specific topics and subject matter. And we've got our serve groups where you put that know-how to work. I understand we're busy people. We've got lots going on in our lives. Our calendars are already full. So we're by no means suggesting that you need to sign up for all of these sorts of things. You may even have a hard time squeezing one of them in. But this is where I want to challenge you to look at it and say, if I'm going to put that effort into the relationship with my relationship with God, what does my effort look like? Maybe you've got these covered off already. And if you do, Fantastic. We want to celebrate that with you. But if you are thinking in yourself, you know, the effort's on a lower level, this is the most accessible way to start to take those steps to deepen your relationship with God. So I ask if you would just stand with me right now for a closing prayer, and then we'll be dismissed as we go out. Heavenly Father, as, as we talk about these different, these different opportunities that exist before us, God, we know that you call us first and foremost above everything else to enter into that relationship with you. So, Father, if those who are here who, who as they're thinking about their own orbit around the sun, about your son that you sent, they go, you know, I, I've been moving away. I've been drifting further and further away, and, and, and I know that my life is becoming increasingly chaotic, and I need to find that order. I need to find that stability. I need to find that source of life and order and, and understanding and truth in my life. God, that we would take that step today, that we come forward to our prayer partners and, and, and to share that with them, that need with them to understand what it, more it looks like to be in a relationship with you. For the rest of us, Lord, I know a lot of us have things going on in our lives and we are growing in our relationship with you. And I thank you and God, I pray that those efforts that we are putting in currently would be meaningful to deepening our relationship with you through Christ. God, I also pray that those who maybe are resistant or who are just, I've already said in their minds, 
can't fit it in. Let us your spirit guide them to an opportunity. Help them understand that the critical nature of having you in a deeper sense in our lives, that we could be more and more shaped into your image. God, may we go forth ultimately to do good works as we love you through these things, but also love others and those that you bring into our paths, that you may be pleased with the grace and the truth that we share with the world around us, that they too could come to know you, enter into that relationship with you, and have a deepening walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next week.